Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. The man's name was Andreas, and he was returning home to Zurich after presenting a paper on agriculture in pre-Napoleonic Switzerland. He had a relentless, chattering fascination for it, which could not be redirected. And soon, Alex and Elisa could only exchange silent looks that communicated bemusement, then boredom, then downright distress. Passion took many forms, some decidedly less interesting than others. Things grew worse as he followed them back to their seats and began to show off photocopies of a 16th-century journal written by a member of a local parliament that described a severe fern which, from what Alex could understand, was some kind of wind which may or may not have dramatically affected the cultivation of saffron. Alex gave himself extraordinary credit for understanding that much of it. Sometimes he would look out the window plaintively, wondering that sheer politeness was now stealing his chance to live in that view again. But gradually, Andreas's attempts at conversation slowed, then stopped. In the mid-afternoon, the train arrived in Zurich, just as the light was bouncing in sparkles off the lake. Alex and Elise bid a brief farewell to Andreas, and followed the dispersing crowd through the spacious station toward the tram. Andreas lingered a while with his portfolio until he saw the large man in the wool suit. He followed the man out of the station, into an alley, and then slit his throat. Andreas, Thursday, September 14th, 1989 This was a new room, his wrists and ankles shackled to his chair. Andreas could only explore it with his eyes. There wasn't much to see, but he still took his time with his survey. Stone walls, cheap overhead lights, a single long table before him. Windows, bars, daylight. There were no windows in Andreas's cell. He had lived in solitary confinement for the last nine months, because other prisoners now refused, violently if necessary, to live with him. He had last seen sunlight fifty-four days ago, while his cell was being cleaned. He had wondered idly if this moment would produce a reaction in him. People had a primal relationship with the sun. It and parents are the first gods an infant knows. Back in the army, he had been kept in dark isolation for four days to test his resistance to enemy torture techniques. He had felt no more anxiety from the separation then than he felt now. His reaction was purely physical. He had to squint. The only surprise, he considered, would have been to look out that window and learn that the sun had gone poof in the last two months. In this way, he thought, his faith was stronger than an ordinary man's. He did not know why he had been brought here. 
but he had not fought the guards. That option would only be used if he sensed he was being marched to his death. In that case, he would prefer to take a few people with him to his last meal. He had walked casually and compliantly out of his cellar home, up through the prison barber shop, how long it had been since they had let him near that area, and into this chilly room. It felt like a forgotten place but a place whose greatest utility came from being forgotten. His pulse was slow, and no sweat rolled down his brow. He occupied himself considering what possibilities the room offered. If he were to fake a seizure, how hard would he need to strike his head against a table in order to produce a compelling wound without costing him too much mental focus? If he needed to lunge at someone with his forehead or teeth, how close would they need to be? His options were severely limited, but Andreas's attitude about death was that he always had options. The room's one door opened, and a man entered. He was middle-aged and possessed sharp, unmistakably Nordic features the high cheekbones, the penetrating blue eyes, and, of course, the hair, still blonde. He carried no case, no paper, nor pens, no visible weapons. So the game was to be conversation. Andreas prided himself in knowing the game at hand, and playing perfectly for as long as it suited him. He knew that people were, all things being equal, more comfortable conversing with a smiling person. So he curled his mouth upward and lifted his chin slightly. His hands, forced in his lap by his shackles, he clasped together in the only casual posture available. The man paused for a moment before taking the chair at the opposite end of the table. His eyes narrowed as he regarded Andreas. Then he spoke in refined German as he sat. You can dispense with the smile. I know you do not mean it. So Andreas's face went back into its resting neutrality and waited for its next prompt. The man clasped his own hands on the desk and sized Andreas up a moment more before continuing. A salesman sells the milk cow produces the milk. He left a meaningful silence and gestured towards Andreas. Andreas finished. And a milkman delivers it. His voice had a friendly timbre to it. The man continued. Those words were said to you back when the GRU recruited you. He allowed a moment for Andreas to be impressed at the man's knowledge. Andreas did not care. What was your understanding of the meaning of those words? Andreas answered, still on the level of breezy unconcern. That I did my own work best when I did not question the wisdom of the salesman or the cow. And did you have a problem with such a professional role? If you are aware of any work I may or 
may not have done with the GRU, which, it should be noted, has never been acknowledged in any public record or court proceeding. You should know the answer to that. The man only nodded. Would you take my word as a gentleman that this conversation is not being recorded or overheard and that you are at liberty to discuss anything? Andreas tilted his head and looked upward for effect. No. Who is or is not a gentleman has no gravity for me, but a rational consideration of your self-interest speaks better for you. I am already in prison for life, and you are not here to kill me, and you know that if I revealed anything for the purpose of reducing my sentence, I would be killed, which does not seem useful to you. Do you like the situation you are in? I do not see any meaning in the question. There is a price for killing civilians. I disagree. I have killed many civilians. The price I pay now is for being careless. The man stopped for a moment and looked at Andreas with a mix of curiosity and frustration. It was a look Andreas knew well. He had been interrogated so often and by so many attempting to find evidence of his soul, conscience, or whatever they cared call it. Finally, the man resumed. A year ago you killed a fellow prisoner. Three hundred and forty-one days ago, his last kill. The longest gap between kills since he was sixteen. Two witnesses confirm I was acting in self-defense. They didn't see what I saw. Unusually, Andreas did not know how to respond. The man read his hesitance perfectly. I arranged to have that prisoner put in your cell. I wanted to watch you in action. Killing is your only pleasure, isn't it? That word is not the most appropriate. Andreas found himself, to his fascination, on the defensive. In his free days he had found sex to be a healthful and readily available activity. Some of the women he took to bed were so preoccupied with shame and a need for privacy. Not being seen held such importance to them, whereas Andreas only cared for privacy to the extent that it prevented disruption or distraction. In this moment he finally noticed a tickle of what might be that same feeling. It bothered him to think this man had seen the hidden truth the ruse he had constructed to goad the other prisoner into attacking him. The man pressed his advantage. Will you indulge me in your own description of it? He did not ask questions the way a doctor did. Andreas had banded with enough of them to recognize their rhythms like familiar music. Nor was it legalistic. He sensed no net being woven around him by the questions. The strongest impression Andreas had was that the man was shopping, that he was considering a purchase and doing a little final diligence. 
Andreas saw no reason to conceal anything in such a circumstance. One of my earliest times, and I will spare you any details that might make you curious to go hunting around, I chose a slothful man, a man born to just enough privilege that he could choose to make nothing of himself. And he made his choice. He did not work, did not shave, did not exercise, and he was often blind drunk by the early afternoon. To me, he looked like a fat goose. I pictured cracking his head open on a street curb a hundred times. The local police knew his habits, and I anticipated they would quickly dismiss it as his own fatal buffoonery. I pursued him to a quiet street and made my move. But this man, this half-sleeping waste, who had never struggled for anything, fought me. He fought me with so much savagery and resilience and ingenuity that I nearly couldn't finish the work, and when it was done, I could not be made to resemble the simple accident I had imagined. I have never enjoyed the mysteries that compel other people. I do not care who put the planets in the sky, or how we rose up from apes, or what happens to us when these machines we live in cease to function. But when I am about to take a person, I realize, every time that I do not know, ever, really, just how hard they will work to hold on to their life. It is their greatest secret, hidden even from them, and I get to have it. Throughout all of Andreas's little speech, his tone never changed from the light and matter of fact, and the more words he spoke, the more bloodless it sounded. This pleasantry was just another muscle concealed under the surface, sculpted for a task. The man frowned, and refrained from replying for a calculated beat. This passion of yours drove you to your unauthorized work. Andreas smelled the musty air. The family in Munich. Yes, it was an indulgence. To change metaphors, you strained at your leash and was put in a cage for punishment, dull but roughly accurate. But perhaps you have had time to weigh the two options? Andreas had guessed at this crux in the conversation, and was glad to be at it at last. To do my work on a leash, or not at all? With such a mean choice, I naturally find a leash of interest. You might go months between jobs. You would be handsomely compensated. You would work until you are killed or your skills degrade. But this leash would be absolute. You will be watched, and the prize for deviance would not be a merciful death, but a long, slow life in a darker and lonelier hole than this. 
You understand, yes? Andreas realized that he had, in fact, been impressed, and said genuinely and to his surprise, I believe you. The man stood, reached in his pocket and pulled out a small photograph. He walked with deliberate steps, stopped a respectful distance away, and set it on the table. Andreas leaned forward for a better look. It was a young woman, twelve, maybe thirteen, with brown hair, in a tomboy style. She did not appear aware of the photographer. The girl is the key to everything. She will never know you, but you will get to know her, and you will find that your leash allows you to reach anyone who might threaten her. Now this held more promise than the tedious contracts of the GRU. They had ordered so many swift and clean assassinations over the years that Andreas had ceased to take sustenance from them. It amused him that he had never considered just how much variety he could enjoy in the role of guardian angel, a dark angel, she will not face the type of threats you might imagine now. You will receive instructions and training. For long periods you will not see her, but the work you do will help her nonetheless. Now the man turned and looked out the window. Andreas could see the old muscle in the man's back. Here was a man who had once taken pride in his physique, but had let it slip. You can call me Wilhelm. The world is about to change, drastically. You cannot tell it from here, but it is all the talk amongst the people I work with. Much of what has been built by the fools of false power will crumble. A better world will follow, but it will be resisted. It will need men like you, who can act without hesitation. Wilhelm's parting grandiosity did not matter to Andreas. After all, he was just a milkman. Seeing by Moonlight A novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Read by Thomas Viborg Thune Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight Visit Amazon or any online bookstore.